Before Larry Fields retired, I had the privilege of being here, and I said to you all that if you called a pastor who was not as hospitable to Larry as Larry had been to me, you need to fire the sucker. Well, Wade has not only been that hospitable to Larry, but he's gone above and beyond and extended that hospitality to me. Thank you, Wade, for what you do and who you are. Diana Butler Bass, magnificent Anglican priest, has written a book entitled Christianity After Religion. The end of the book is hopeful, the beginning of the book is realistic. And in the book, she notes the fact that since 1990, the people who claim to be nuns, that is, people who have no religious affiliation, since 1990, that number has grown from 8% to 15%, almost doubled since 1990. These folks, many of them claim to be spiritual, but not religious. And what they mean by that, they claim to be spiritual, but want nothing to do with the church. The church has fallen on hard times. Denominations have fallen on hard times. I'm not just picking on Baptists, but I know more about Baptists than I do anyone else. But you all may be informed that the Southern Baptist Convention had a huge building in downtown Nashville. The Sunday School Board owned it. They were diminishing in size. They sold it, moved out, built another building, and now that building's up for sale because they don't need all of it anymore. The Texas Baptist Convention, that I know the most about, has sold their building and rented space in an office building. The Methodists are about ready to go through a major split. The Anglicans have already gone through a major split. Denominations are in trouble. Local churches are in trouble. Local churches are diminishing all over the country. All denominations. The church has become a whipping boy for many, many people. So today I want to talk about why I love the church. The text I want to refer you to, and you don't have to look at it because it's so short, Jesus said, Thou art Peter, and upon thee I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not overcome it. I love the church. Now when I talk about the word church, it comes from the Greek New Testament, ekklesia, which simply means the called out ones. And if you were Jewish and you heard the word ekklesia, you would think about the children of Israel gathering before the tabernacle to worship the God. The, the Lord. If you were Greek and you heard the word, you would think about a city council meeting or a meeting of the city state, 
the called out ones to me. In the New Testament, it simply refers to those who are followers of Jesus who are called out to worship him. That word ecclesia is used 110 times in the New Testament. 90 times it is used to refer to the local church, Central Baptist Church of Bearden. 11 times it's used in reference to the church universal. The other eight times we are not sure how it's used, but it refers to the local church or the, call or the universal church. And this morning, as I use the term, I'm going to be using it in reference at times to the universal church and at times to the local church. And you're bright enough to figure out how I'm going to be using it each time. I love the church. And it's high time for those of us who love the church to reaffirm the church. I love the church because it's a divine institution. The church is divine. Jesus said, I will build my church. The church is divine because the architect is divine. The church belongs to Jesus, and he's divine. The church is divine because it's called to do divine work. The church is called to do work that no other institution in the world, no matter how good it is, can do. The church is divine because the builder's divine, the work is divine. The church is divine because it's the bride of Christ. You know, I don't know about you and your bride, those of you who are married, but I, sh- I bought Charlotte an engagement ring two weeks before Valentine's Day. And I went back to the campus, and that box was burning a hole in my pocket, and I was going to wait two weeks to give her that ring. I gave it to her that night. I wanted people to know how much I love this woman. And I, I can tell you how it would disturb me if you talked about my bride the way some people talk about the bride of Jesus. The church is divine. The church is not perfect. It's not perfect like you and I are not perfect. Imagine standing on a mountain, balling up some snow, beautiful, pure, white snow, and tossing that snowball down the mountain. And as it went down the mountain, it would collect leaves, rocks, twigs, dirt. And by the time it got to the bottom of the mountain, it would not be a pure snowball anymore. Well, the snowball called the church was founded almost 2,000 years ago. And as it rolls along, it picks up you and me. And as it picks up you and me, it becomes impure. Well, I love the church in spite of her impurities because it is a divine institution. 
I'm talking about the church universal. I love the church because not only is it a divine institution, but I love the church because of what it has done for the world. There's a professor of history at Baylor University by the name of Rodney Sparks. And Rodney's written a wonderful book entitled The Triumph of Christianity. And in that book, Rodney shows what the church has done for the world. Now, if you are a woman, you ought to love the church more than we men love the church because of what the church has done for you. Before Jesus, women were to be unseen and unheard. If they were serving in their home, they would serve the men, but they would go back to the kitchen to eat. A woman was not of any value. Now, there are some today who are still trying to suppress the role of women in the church. But you remember Paul in 2 Timothy, where he said, let a woman learn at home? That was revolutionary, folks. There were no schools for women. In the day of Jesus, women were considered incapable of learning. But Jesus came and treated women equally. And so Paul is saying in 2 Timothy 2, women can learn. Let them learn at home, but women can learn. Jesus elevated the role of women in the way that no other person in the world has ever done it. The, slow, the church has been slow to do that, but we're finally getting around to it. Women have a position in the world that they would never have had had it not been for the divine institution of the church. The church has changed the world, folks. In the first three centuries when, when Christians were persecuted and killed, they marveled at how they loved one another. And Stark shows how the modern medical work has evolved because of the work of the church. Think about slavery. In the days of Jesus, a slave was of no more value than a camel or a donkey. The slave was a piece of property. And the person who owned that slave could do anything he wanted to with that slave. But Paul wrote to Onesimus, to Philemon, about Philemon's runaway slave. And said, I'm sending him back to you. Forgive him. Forgive him. The church has done more than any other institution in society to do away with slavery. We all love to sing Amazing Grace. John Newton, who wrote that, was a former person who had a slave ship who was bringing slaves from Africa to the West Indies and to into the United States. Newton was converted, and he wrote that beautiful hymn, but he did more than that. He became friends with William Wilberforce, who was a member of Parliament in England. 
And William Wilberforce became a Christian because of John Newton. And for 12 straight years, Wilberforce introduced a bill into the English Parliament to free the slaves in the West Indies. It failed 12 straight years. But on the 13th year, he made an addition to his motion, and that was to repay the slaveholders in the West Indies for half of the value of the money they had spent on their slaves. And it passed by a huge margin. And the slaves in the West Indies were freed. And I often wonder, what would have happened in the U.S. Congress if someone had made a motion to pay the farmers in the South half of what they had paid for their slaves, how much faster the slaves would have been freed. A couple of summers ago, Charlotte and I were doing an interim in Connecticut. We went up to Litchfield. We went there because there is a little museum there because Litchfield was the home of the first law school in America. And since both our kids were lawyers, we're interested in that kind of stuff. So we went to this little law school, but we found a bonus. We found out about a man by the name of Lynam Beecher. Lynam Beecher was pastor of the Congregational Church in Litchfield for 25 years. Lynam had six sons and one daughter. He was an avid abolitionist. His six sons became pastors. One of his sons, Henry Ward Beecher, established the Plymouth Church in Brooklyn, which became the center of the, of the Underground Railroad movement in the United States. Freed uh, slaves who weren't free at that time from all over the country would go to Brooklyn, to the Pilgrim Church, and they would find help in the church. He also had a daughter. Her name was Harriet. You may know her as Harriet Beecher Stowe, who wrote Uncle Tom's Cabin. And that book helped with the freeing of the slaves in this country. Folks, it was the church who freed the slaves, who established the modern medical movement, who elevated the role of women, who introduced prison reform in England. It was the church who cleaned up the steam shops in the United States. Walter Rauschenbusch, a Baptist pastor, preached time after time against the injustice of bringing 10, 11, 12-year-old children into the steam shops of New York and treating them no more than chattel. It was the church. The church of Jesus Christ has done more for the world than we can ever imagine. I love the church universal because of what it's done for the world. But like you, I'm pretty selfish. And I love the church because of what it's done for me. The church universal, the church local. 
Many of you who've been here a long time know that I had a brother killed in 1951, 52 rather, on a motorcycle. Two months later, my mother died from a broken heart, grieving the loss of her son. There were five of us left at home. An older brother had already married. Dad took us to Littlefield, Texas, moved in next door to his only sibling and brother-in-law, went to work for his brother-in-law, September of 52. January of 53, Uncle Charles was murdered. Aunt Lois then had all of her time to devote on us, and she died in June of a heart attack. In one year, my dad lost a son, his wife, his only brother-in-law, and his only sibling. He turned to alcohol. We wound up at the Baptist Children's Home in Oklahoma City. The church put a roof over my head, too much food in my body, clothed me, educated me. I love the church, folks, because what the church has done for me. A layman in our church paid my way through college and seminary. I went to a college that was provided by the Church of Oklahoma, Oklahoma Baptist University. I went to a seminary and paid $50 a semester tuition because the church supported that institution. I love the church because of what it has done for me. Not only for what it's done for me in terms of the physical and mental needs, but I love the church because of what it's done for my emotional needs. As a 13-year-old boy going to a children's home, I had no self-esteem. I had a lot of anger. But the Trinity Baptist Church of Oklahoma City nurtured me. They loved me. They birthed me into the kingdom. I love the church because of what it's done for me. I love Central Baptist Church because of what the church has done for me. This church. I came here as a 32-year-old kid from a country town in Arkansas, and I was mooned my first week in town. <laughs> I was as green as a gourd. And you loved me and accepted me and challenged me to grow. And on our 10th anniversary, you gave us a wonderful monetary gift. And I, Charlotte and I took our two children to Europe for a month. And to this day, when our children get together, they talk about that trip to Europe. I love this church because of what you've done for me and for my family. You were the midwives that birthed our children into the faith. There's no way in the world I could ever come up with enough money to pay you for what you've done for me and my family. Oh, I love the church because of what the church has done 
for me. I love the church, the church local, the church universal, because the church continues to meet the needs of the human heart. Your heart, my heart, our hearts, they haven't changed since the first century. Man has always had the same needs. You and I need forgiveness. You and I need grace. You and I need acceptance. We need love. We need redeeming. We need hope. When I was growing up, my dad was a sharecropper. And I spent many long summer days out in the fields chopping cotton. Temperature would reach to 100 degrees. I'd be so thirsty, I was about willing to drink anything. And it was there in the cotton fields that I began to dream about someday breaking the cycle of being a sharecropper's kid. I started having hope. My family was the religious family. They gave me religious training. And I started having hope. You know, if we lose hope, we lose everything. The church meets the needs of mankind by giving us hope. I read just recently that one-third of every teenage girl in America, no, no not one-third, one-thirteenth, one in every 13 teenage girl in America thinks about or attempts to take their own life. Church has a message, a message of hope. And I love the church because the church is willing to provide what mankind needs. But finally, I love the church because our best days are still ahead. We've got to believe that, folks. You take a marriage, and if you think your best days are behind, that marriage is doomed. You take a job, and you think the best days are behind you, it's over. You take any relationship, and if the best days are behind, there's no future for that relationship. The best days of the church are in front of us. A pu national pew poll was taken two weeks ago, and that number of nuns has slipped two, from two years ago at 15% to 13%. That's not a great slope but a percentage, but it's a lot of people. For the first time in 30 years, the white mainline denominations showed a growth of one and a half percent. The church has always done best when it's been persecuted, when it's been in the minority, and I don't mind us hitting rock bottom because that means we're headed up. There's another Baylor professor by the name of Philip Jenkins, who a few years ago wrote a magnificent book called The Emerging Kingdom. And Philip Jenkins shows statistically raw data 
that the church is exploding in South America. The church is booming in Southeast Asia. The largest churches in the world are in Korea, South Korea. The church is booming in South Africa. While we may be seeing a slippage here in the church, Jesus said, I will build my church. Belongs to him. And although it's diminishing some here, it's booming in other parts of the world. Oh, and remember what he said? The gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And it's not. I love the church universal. I love Central Baptist Church. And this morning, I hope as you look at your own heart and realize what Central Baptist Church has done for you, what it's done for your children, your grandchildren, I hope today you will come to a new appreciation and a new love for this church and for the church of Jesus Christ universally. In a moment, we're going to stand and sing a hymn of invitation. The church's one foundation is Jesus. And then during the singing of this hymn, if you have never become a part of his church, then Dr. Bibbs will be here at the front, ready to receive you into the kingdom and into this church. This morning, if you're here and you have no local church home, come and become a part of this fellowship of believers. This morning, if you're a member of this church and you've not loved the church as you ought to, either where you are or here at the front, recommit your life to His church. Shall we stand and sing our invitational hymn? And as the Holy Spirit of God moves you this morning, you come as the Lord leads you. The Lord bless you and keep you as you make this decision in front of you this morning.